My guest today on the Essential Coaching Skills Podcast is Mary Lou Seavey of MindBridge NLP and Coach Training. She and her husband, Jerry, have been running this place in North Carolina for many years until fairly recently, Jerry had an accident and has been unable to train or do much else for quite some time and has thrust Mary Lou into the role of caregiver more than anything else at the moment. So we want to hear from her and how that has affected her, what's really going on and how we can perhaps help Jerry at the same time. Stay tuned. You are listening to the Essential Coaching Skills Podcast, a show devoted to uncovering the systems and the secrets that set the best apart, where you learn how to take your coaching clients to the next level while you grow the coaching practice of your dreams. So sit back and relax, or sit up and get excited. Either way, you might want to pay attention. This could be important. Mary Lou, welcome back to the podcast. Thank you for having me. You uh, have been quite through quite a lot since the last time I saw you. Um, Bit of an understatement. <laughs> yes. yes, it is. And um, so has your husband been through quite a lot. Could you just fill us in on what it is that I'm, I'm referring to what you're talking about? Sure. I'll give, you a, I'll give you a relatively brief story. So I was in Boston. Um, I'd gone up for a dental appointment and to visit a friend who was in hospice. And that would be the last time I saw her. I called my husband on a Saturday morning and asked him to do something for me. We have a two-family home, a two-story home. He was upstairs, and he was kind of reluctant. He said, yeah, he'd, he'd go downstairs and do it. And while we were talking, the phone went dead. I thought I heard him say something, and then the phone went dead. And I thought, well, you know, maybe he didn't really want to do it. So I called back. No answer. The line was off. And then I called our work line, because he always picks that up. And then I called his cell, and he didn't pick that up. And he had been having some trouble with his spine and was in PT for it. And I thought, you know, do you fall down the stairs? Because that was his big thing for me, because I'm not always careful going up and down the stairs. And I thought, I need to do something. I call my neighbor. My neighbor has a key to the house. He went over. I'm thinking, did you trip on the cats? Did he slide? What happened? But I knew in my gut that something was off. So my neighbor, Mike, went in, went over, rang the bell. Jerry didn't answer. I called him 10 minutes later. He said, well, Jerry didn't answer. I didn't want to just barge in. I said, Mike, go in. Something's wrong. He went in. He found Jerry at the foot of the stairs. He was conscious. The phone was next to him, but he couldn't get up. So Mike called the um, EMTs here and told them that because I had already told Mike Jerry had a spine issue and was going to our local PT at the hospital. We live right pretty close to a major hospital. So they he told the e EMTs that. they picked him up. They didn't put him on a spine board, which was really upsetting to me. And they brought him out. The gurney was outside. They brought him out and they told Mike they were taking him to Wake. Wake is the local hospital. Well, because they had said spine, they took him to the Wake Spine Trauma Center. Mike, my neighbor, closes the house up, gets in the car, goes to the local hospital and says, I'm here for Jerry Seavey. You know, I'm the, I'm the contact person. I'm waiting and waiting and waiting. And I call Mike and he says, well, I haven't said anything. And Mike, by the way, is in his 80s. So he's very with it, very sharp. And he was just waiting there. So another hour goes by and I call back again. I said, Mike, you got to find out. This is 
I'm, I'm, I need you to know. So he went up and they said, oh, he's not here. He was not admitted to this hospital. They ended up finding him at the other hospital, at the spine center, trauma center. So he calls the doctor, gets information. They say to him that, well, he's just in the, uh, he's just in the emergency room. He said he's fine. And, and I'm thinking, this isn't right. Something's wrong. He fell down a flight of stairs. Mike calls me back. We're playing phone tag. And Mike calls me back and I said, just get me the name of the doctor. I called, got the doctor and said, he fell down the flight of stairs. I want a CT scan done. First of all, he's 76 years old. Anyone who's come in in an emergency and can't get up from the, from the floor needs to be looked at, not just set aside in the emergency room because he says he's fine. Because Jerry doesn't like to bother people. So that was 4.15. He... The I last spoke to Jerry just about 11, 4.15, I'm talking to the doctor. 5.15, they do the brain scan. They do the CT and he's rushed to the neuro ICU. His brain was bleeding from the time he fell down the stairs until the time they did the brain scan. And when, when I found that out, when the ICU called me and told me I left. I mean, I, I got on the first plane available. Delta was great. They helped me get into Raleigh the next day. That was the soonest I could do. It's really surprising how people are supportive because I was supposed to be flying first class and ended up way in the back. And the, and the flight attendant got on and he said, this was real. This is one of the few times I get emotional. Um, he said, you have to stay in the seats. This woman has to get out, get to her car, get to her husband. It still gets to me. So as I was going up the aisle, people were saying, we'll pray for you. Everything will be fine. It was really intense. So I got to the hospital. Friends picked up my luggage later. I went to the ICU. And um, they said he was in the critical list. I already knew that. And they said his brain was still bleeding. And the swelling was pretty extreme. And that they didn't know if he would make it. Hmm. And I just, I mean, I don't know where my brain went. But generally under high stress, I go to... Uh, what actions can I take? But there were no actions I could take. So I waited by the next day, his brain, they thought he had, they were doing, they'd done, I think by then three CT scans and you can only do so many because Jerry's a cancer survivor also. So the amount of radiation is critical in a situation like this. So this is brain is swollen. Um, it's, and they showed me the CT scan and his, his brain was swollen and everything was pushed to the left side. And, they, and all you could see was this black area and it was blood. So it's just a wait and see because they did not, they don't drill into the skull and extract the blood in this particular hospital. It's not one of the things they do. So I waited. He was a week in ICU. He was unconscious for most of it. Sometimes they'd sit him up. Sometimes he got very um, violent and he would pull out. They had to strap him down because he would pull out the tubes that they had. And he developed, um, uh, or they discovered, I don't know if he developed it, they discovered AFib, a really severe AFib. Of course, AFib can lead to stroke. So, you know, one thing compounded on another and the, they, they move him from the Neuro ICU across the hall to the cardiac ICU. And he's there for a week. And by the end of the week, he still has the AFib, he still has the brain bleed, but he's conscious and he's sitting up. And I'm there nonstop. And it's about 45 minutes from where I live. And I go in the morning and I stay as late as I can. 
by then he was eating. He he lost a lot of weight in total. He's lost in 10 weeks. He's lost like well over 20 pounds. So I'm feeding him and I'm helping them get him in bed and sit him up. And after a week of that, um, I'm pretty stressed by then, but you know, I just, what do I have to do? I also, we had a plan. We were supposed to be, you know, we run a training program. We run NLP and coaching course in Dubai, which was coming up. So I'm trying to decide, what do I do about business? Jerry runs most of the business. How do I handle the finances? What is the insurance? I don't know. I mean, we had talked like many couples so many times about, well, let's make everything cohesive and organized in such a way that if something should happen, the other will know what to do. Well, we didn't do it. We just talked about it. So I called a friend. He tried to help me. It was most of my friends are in Boston or Dubai. So I live in the Carolinas and I've got my 82 year old neighbor. That's it, you know, and one or two other friends in the area. So after um, two weeks in the ICUs, they move him down to intensive therapy, rehab, neuro rehab, and they start sitting him up, getting him to feed himself. And I don't know what's coming. When he was leaving the ICU, the neurosurgeon came over because I was a bit of a bitch. I kept saying, I'm not hearing anything. I'm not, I want to talk to the doctors. Nurses were great. Doctors not to be seen. So this doctor comes in and she said, I admitted him into the ICU. She said, honestly, he's doing great. And I'm thinking, this is great. Really? She said, we didn't expect him to make it through the night. She said, and we never expected that he'd be able, he'd be conscious again. We thought he'd be brain dead. I mean, my heart sunk. So everything that came from that point on was better. Um, he was in, it's about two and a half weeks in uh, the intensive neuro rehab and then all done. Medicaid's done, insurance is done. Here you go, take him home. And this is where it really struck me how little in the in the US there is support for people that find themselves with family members in situations like this. So what was available here, very different in this state than other states, I checked out one after another after another of the nursing facilities that was Medicare covered. And more than one, I left in tears because they were so substandard. One place said, oh, we can have room for them because most everyone is in the COVID wing. I think, really? So um, my neighbor, again, the guys, <laughs> lovely couple, I'd go over there and I'd say, oh, I'm on the part of the seams, talk, talk, me, talk me back to earth. And he said, you know, Mary Lou, there's a new couple of new houses up on about a mile or so away. He said, they have, they have, um, wheelchair ramps. They could be care homes. So 8.30 the next morning, I'm knocking on the door of this house and saying, I don't know if I'm crazy, um, but are you a care home? It turned out they were, but they were an end of life care home. And Jerry wasn't at the end of his life for sure. So I, this is the second time I broke down and the, the woman came, she came in, we talked long story short, they had another house that had an, a, a room because someone had just passed away. And it was out of pocket, was not covered by Medicare. It was close by. It was about seven miles from where I live, much better in terms of, of where I was at this point. And no, Jerry, Jerry couldn't come here. I mean, you know, it just, it wasn't viable. So I, we got him in there. They accepted him. And even though he, in the end, they, they didn't like to see him leave because he was the only one that 
was communicative. And, and um, so he was there for several weeks, they uh, almost two months, and it was out of pocket. And it was ex extravagant. I mean, it was just everything was it. I, <laughs> I could have bought several Mercedes, put it that way. So at the point where I had everything lined up to go to Dubai, because I needed to go forward with the program to keep the business going, to keep the money coming in. He was doing much better. He was eating, walking. His PT was good. His OT was good. Speech therapy was getting him. He was moving along really rapidly. I had no idea how the brain really is amazing. I would say in classes, Doug, oh, it's a brain thing when we'd be talking about patterns, but it really is. There's the brain and then there's the consciousness of what's going on. And I laid a now, when Jerry and I talked, he was conscious, aware of a lot, not all, but a lot, but he couldn't, his brain wouldn't do what he wanted it to do. Mm. Oh. So, so wow. um, I had to, I had somebody to take care of him while I was going to be in Dubai. I had a nursing group lined up, everything was all together. And then it all came apart. And here's where NLP comes into play. Through all of this, I'm being very resourceful and I'm, you know, I'm resilient anyway. That, that's just part of my nature. And I'm a problem solver. And I'm the last place I'm going to go is into crisis mode because it doesn't do anything. And I work with narrative. And I know the story I tell myself is going to impact how I feel. And the, the beauty of my brain, my brain, is that I have aphantasia. And aphantasia is you don't recognize imagery. You know things, but you don't see images. Like most people see images. I don't. But I, I, I have fabulous auditory recall. And I talk to my, which is why I get into narrative work, because I talk to myself all the time. So so um, through all of this, I'm, I'm constructing an outcome. And the outcome seemed really viable. And my one of my, who you know, Linda Bonner, one of my former students who now lives in New York City, got got me on the phone and when I told her I'm not going to be able to go to Dubai because she was coming to help teach there with me. Mm -hmm. And she said, did you do an ecology check? You know, how is this coming apart? Because you work so hard to put everything in place. And I said, I did the ecology check for Jerry. Everything's in place. I cooked enough food for the month I was gone for both my brother who was going to be caring for him, for Jerry, for every, you know, the whole neighborhood. I had the nursing, everything, all the, everything lined up. And I checked the ecology for the students in Dubai, for myself, for the travel, for all of it. And she said, did you check the ecology for your brother? And I, I was like, I know I didn't. And my brother had said, yes, he would come down and stay for three weeks to care for Jerry. He had cared for his invalid wife for 30 years until she passed away. Wow. It didn't occur to me how much that was going to put on him. And I called him as a last resort. And he said, yes, because he's my brother. And when I finally called him back and said, you don't have to come. He already had his ticket. He said, I'm so grateful. He said, I just, he said, I would have done it for you. He said, but it would have taken a lot. Yeah. And ecology, you know, in the outcome frame, is this, you know, the what will you gain? What will you lose? All of those tongue twisting, brain scrambling questions. I missed a piece. And that piece, once I got it, I knew. I could stay. I called, called students, told people not coming. And I started after you called, I started thinking about what were the resources that I had based on not just NLP, but other 
elements of my life, of the learnings of my life, that my friends who I would reach out to, they were panicking for me. I didn't need to. They did it. <laughs> and, and I started thinking about how people deal with crisis. And that's when it started to look very different from my perspective and how I dealt with Jerry, because then he was home. And yes, he can go up and down the stairs. And I do have to, you know, for the first week, I had to watch very carefully, be behind him. But he was doing great. His balance was great. His his focus was great. He's He, he has a fit. I have it too, aphasia. So he doesn't catch certain words. He knows them, but he can't get them out. Mm -hmm. Other than that, you know, if you were to see him now, you wouldn't know that he had had anything happen. He, if you were to have a conversation with him though, you'd recognize something was different because one of the things I discovered was he was getting very frustrated as was I when we, when I'd speak to him and he could, he wouldn't respond. He simply wouldn't respond. And I'd say, do you understand? And he'd just look at me. It, it turned out that he could follow the content, but he couldn't place the content in the context. So sure. con content is the story. Okay. Context is the set and setting of the story. So if I'd say, you know, the nurses, and I didn't say at at the the place he was staying was called the retreat it, at the retreat he could he dealt with nurses in the hospital in the rehab in his current rehab he didn't know where to place that information he didn't have anything to anchor it to so i had to learn to say jerry now i'm talking about x and then what i said to him he could process and he'd respond right. and it became so evident that that was the major piece that everything was just streaming through his experience. And he didn't know how to isolate. I'd say, do you want this? Cause I'm very general mm -hmm. and I'd have, you know, I'd have something in my hand. He wasn't looking at it, but we had been talking about it previously. I'd like, I'd make him a smoothie and I'd say, do you want it now? And he wouldn't know what the it was mm -hmm. or what the when the now was, because his now is big, my now is small. And there were these obstacles to overcoming communication. And if I didn't manage my state, then that energy spilled out and that frustration hit him. And then he would get frustrated. Mm -hmm. And I knew that was the last thing his brain needed. So, so let me just stop you. That's amazing. I mean, that's we we often talk about the meta model and and the importance of certain things you know managing your state asking ecology questions in in nlp it's 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 standard but you're so deeply living it now you know that you must be specific with the with the meta model you you have to be managing your state you know this is you said before we started the conversation you're like thank god for nlp um yeah but it's really true that yeah. these, these things have been absolutely critical for you to be able to do what you're doing and get through this incredibly difficult situation um could you just for the fun of it for the people that don't know what the ecology questions are the ecology process is um could you just describe sure so in the in the well to enter in to enter into the ecology is is this is the outcome that you want is it worthwhile? And are you willing to do what it takes to gain and maintain it? So that's one. And then you go into the deeper level of 
of what will outcome, what will you lose, what will happen, what won't happen if you get it, what won't happen if you don't get it, what will happen if you don't get it, and and is it um, is this in in the entirety of the system, is it worthwhile? And in my case, I didn't include my brother in the system, right. and and that that was the piece. So, and normally I do. I normally like scope out and scope out and scope out and scope out and scope out how far out does it go until whatever i'm seeking is no longer relevant that far outside of my initial system or in circle of influence and this point in time i and i didn't and i recognize it was because not not only did i want to because i love teaching the material and i and wanted to make sure that the people who had planned on it that i gave them what they were expecting but i needed i needed a break and I'm, I'm real, I don't mind saying it. I really needed a break wow. because I had gone by then it was going like, it's like, it's been almost three months and, and I was going nonstop, get, getting up at four 30 in the morning, you know, be at the hospital by nine, stay there as long as I could come back, fix a meal for him, bring it back. Cause they let me stay really late. And then once he went into the assisted nurse go early in the morning, take him to his therapies, come back here, make sure that he had lunch, do the work, coach, because I, I, my coaching clients were wonderful. They let me just like reorganize my time scaling. And then I'd feed him dinner and then I'd take him back and I come home and I collapse and I needed a break. Yeah. And, and I saw my brother as that opportunity. And I about this because he knows what it was like yeah. and he was fine. And I'm finding letting, people need to know that there's nothing wrong with reaching a point where you just have to have to take care of yourself. Because yeah. if you don't take care of yourself, you can't take care of your loved one. Yeah, no, that's that's, and that's ecology. Yeah, that's ecology, true. And it is it is the kind of the uh, unknown or unsung issue for caregivers everywhere. I mean, every caregiver knows that. Every person who's been in thrust as you have been into the situation where of being the caregiver for someone else knows that, you know, your job is to take care of another person and to find a way to take care of yourself that you have to do that in order to be able to take care of the other person. And so often that is yeah. overlooked or said, oh, no, I'm, that's not important. I have to take care of this. You know, both are important. You really be able to have to be able to do that. I've been meditating mostly on sometimes off for 40 something years so getting up at 4 30 in the morning was yeah earlier than way earlier than normal yeah. uh, but i had to do that because if i didn't meditate and if i didn't do some reading and i did follow some of my morning ritual then i was no good for the rest of the day and you know i would often in the afternoon i he'd be and i'd be just about conked out in the chair and I, I found just taking a nap didn't work. But if I meditated, it did. Oh, interesting. You know, that gave me the energy. So Mary, let me just um, stop you for a minute. I'm going to pause the recording and I'm going to. Uh... So you're saying that, you know, a nap won't necessarily do it, but meditating does. Recharge. Yeah, yeah, definitely for me. You know, some people on nap would be good, but meditating even like for 15 minutes, just stilling my head. Cause as I said, I have a lot of inner dialogue mm -hmm. and I was working to get the surface and the dialogue, the deeper dialogue matched because if the deeper dialogue was 
know, it's all coming apart, then the surface dialogue didn't matter because it was the deeper structure that was driving my state. And the meditation helped me remember and stay grounded and be present and, you know, and, and use those resources be very conscientious about how I dealt with the staff at the hospital, because as of COVID, there were nowhere near the staff that was required. Mm. And, and so if I was frustrated or upset because I didn't see change in him or his needs met in the way I would like them to be met and it, uh, staff, then that would spill out to him. And it wasn't fair to them. These people were beyond, these nurses were amazing. And, and, when he finally left, um, when he left both the ICU and when he left the intensive rehab, I gave them all a gift. And one of the nurses broke down and she said, no, nobody recognizes it. And I said, nobody? No. <laughs> it just comes out when you've got NLP. And she said, well, most people don't. She said, we're just part of the, we're part of the hospital. And, and it, it made such, I would bring him meals because the hospital food was like one step below airline food. And, and there were a few of the nurses there that were like, oh, that's so good. And I was making so much. I'd bring some for them too. Mm -hmm. And then they, can I have some? And, and, and they were so appreciative of just little things. And, you know, I think it made a difference because it created a better environment for him when they were caring for him. And they took a little extra attention to him because he was sleep well at night and he tried to get out of bed and, and I mean, they couldn't risk a fall and he ripped out all, <laughs> he ripped out all of the wires from the wall that alerted them that the bed, cause there was an alarm on the bed. So he couldn't find the alarm on the mattress. So he ripped it off. Like, Oh, Jerry, <laughs> he just knew he wanted to get up and the alarm would let them know. So they moved the station right to the front of his room. And I don't know that they would have done that. And they didn't, at least I don't think they've charged me for the, <laughs> the equipment, <laughs> but anything they could do to help him, they would. And they had a lot on their hands. The other, I mean, it was a, the recovery ward, the rehab ward was neuro and was for both pe people with neurological damage, brain damage, and people with amputations. So it was not an easy place. No, no, no not at all. Yeah, no, I, I, I worked in a hospital for a few years and um, yeah, it's not an easy place. I was doing hypnosis for patients yeah. prior to surgery, post as well, but mostly prior to surgery. But uh, but I was certainly in the ICU in different wards for and not just mostly heart patients that I was working with, but also cancer patients and other other people as well. So I've certainly seen a lot of the yeah. types of things you're describing where the nurses are just doing beyond yeoman's duty it's just it's and, and pretty thanklessly as well they they get they get notified when there's a problem um, yeah. it's not good but yeah. You know, yeah yeah human beings as well and you know it's it's really useful for us to hear this story because um it could happen at any moment that we are thrust into this caregiver's thing and and also to do what you did prior to the caregiving thing that you're doing now, but to, to be the proactive patient um, mm -hmm. in hospitals, people don't usually think about what else could be going on or whatever. They, they need you as a patient and they need us as the patient or the patient advocate to say, I want the T CT scan. 
which you yeah. did for Jerry, you know, that nobody would have done that. They said, oh, he's an old man sitting in the corner and then, and then, and then. yeah, it's just like, no, do it now. Yeah, Go yeah. and be, be that pain in the ass, be that, you know, thorn in their side, be that person who's going to, you know, get that done because nobody else is going to. Nobody else yeah, well, it's interesting when you know the the medical system here in the U.S. is so supposedly so profound. Well, it is, and and depends on where you are and how much money you have. Here in North Carolina, if you are, I mean, this is Duke and Wake and Rex. These are some of the top. Sure. But once Jerry was out of the hospital, everything fell apart. You know, we were supposed to get a cardiologist. No. Nope. No referrals for cardiologists. We're supposed to have a neurologist. No referrals. We're supposed to have another brain skin. No referrals because now he's in private care, and it's up to us to manage it. And they had a they had a system used to be doctors bought out by someone else, and they didn't have any connections. So I called my cardiologist who wasn't taking new patients. She said yes. I when we saw her, she said, "What do you mean he doesn't have? He hasn't had another brain scan." She got her a friend of hers who was a neurosurgeon. We had a brain scan done like that. He saw Jerry within a few days, and because he said he said it was really he said to Jerry, he looked at him, he said, "If you weren't standing there right next to me," and then this is um, like seven weeks out from the accident, he said, "And I just looked at that brain scan. I would say this guy's not going to make it." He said, "This level of bleed was huge." He said, "Now this." This brain Saturday, he said, see that dark area? He said, it's not as dark. It's a gray area. He said, that's cerebral fluid. He said, you have no brain tissue there. So Jerry's left front lobe is basically gone. Oh, my goodness. That's the critical decision-making. It's impulse control and it's personality. And I had been told that that was where the damage was and that, you know, I, we did not know who would be coming back if he could. This man is amazing. He, most of, he's back telling jokes, the same <laughs> jokes. <laughs> heard this before. <laughs> that was, that he's, there are things that I could not do in the computer that, now other things, you know, yeah, there's big holes and he has no memory from before the accident until after you know he it's somewhere maybe the second or third day in icu he doesn't have no memory of pulling any of the wires out yeah. but at a certain point his consciousness came back and he started to become aware yeah. but he's hanging out in the background and things were happening and it was just easier just to hang out in the background so little by little he's become more responsive more effective in in taking care of himself and for me it's like well let me do this for you and I said, like, can't do that. You've got to let him do it for himself. So the big issue now is he wants to drive and that's yeah. not going to happen just yet. He's got yeah. to see a neurologist, but he can do things that in there I can't do, you know, and some things I'll ask him to do and we'll make an agreement. But if I haven't framed it properly, he doesn't recall that he agreed to it yeah. and hearing He'll hear to what he wants to hear. So he heard the neuro the neurosurgeon say, "Your when the, he said the bleed is gone, it's been absorbed, which should take about six weeks. Took like I mean six months. Took only two or three months." When he said the neurosurgeon said the cerebral fluid is there, Jerry heard my brain is back, and when we went 
to the cardiologist. To him, he can't get AFib meds because they're blood thinners if you've got a brain bleed. Hmm. So we go back to the cardiologist and rather than argue with him, I said, can you look at, you know, look at his scan and tell us how you understand it because he thinks his brain tissue is back. She was brilliant. She, she was said, well, because Jerry was like, and she said, well, wait a minute, let me, let me find out. She said, well, that's interesting. She said, what I see is, she said, this brain, not your brain. She said, this brain has severe damage. And this brain here, this image of this brain here has cerebral fluid, but no tissue. She said, so let me read what the doctor, what the records were. And she read it and then came back and she said, your wife's right. She said, but what's remarkable about the brain is your brain is rewiring. She said, it's going to take you quite a while, but your brain can rewire almost completely. Hmm. Now, completely. Coincided with all of this, did you ever see the, um, and if any of you, anyone's listening has not seen the TED Talk, A Stroke of Insight, it's right. absolutely amazing. It's remarkable. So I bought her recent book, the author's recent book, and she talks about, Whole, it's called whole brain living and she talks about the recovery and, and the different aspects of self well through all of this the few resources that i have had one i have had for years is a guy named stephen josephs he was one who brought me into nlp hmm. i've been in touch with him for years he was a close friend of is a close friend of leslie's he's a close friend of connie ray's i reached out to him he's a friend of um, Jill Boyden Taylor, the woman who wrote Whole Brain Living that had the stroke. And he gave me resources for, to help Jerry that I would never have known. He just just like laid one out after another, after another. Hmm. And here, go after this. And so the support that comes, I have a community in Dubai that I've been updating them what's going on. The support that comes from them it's amazing. It's uh, you can do this, Mary Lou. Keep going. We're praying for you. We're sending healing energy. You're not alone in this. People caretake you feel alone. Yeah. You just do. Yeah. And to hear others say, We've got your back, even if they're not present, it's huge. It's really huge. Because you have to keep you have to keep focused on what's here and the next step and the next step and the next step. If you go too far out, it can be overwhelming. Yeah. Well, listen, I, I thank you for being on this show today. I, I don't want to take too much more of your time, but I did want to have you on here for a variety of reasons. One is to let people know you were on the podcast earlier, um, not this year, I think maybe late last year, but you were on previous episode. Um, and we learned a lot about the way that you've worked in NLP and how you train um, in coaching. But uh, this very significant life change has has been huge for you and for Jerry, of course, but for many other people, we can we can learn a bit from you about how you are dealing with it and, and the importance of, of things that we sort of think of academically of or in a, a good coach technique, whatever, but the ecology checks, the managing your state, those are really important for us to be able to be able to be caregivers if we're thrust in that situation to um, be patient advocates or you know self care advocates 
um, to take care of yourself, to meditate, do whatever it takes to be able to be in that place and, and to be resilient, um, to have all these resources available to you, and and to also know that people do have you back. And and one of the people that you I think worked with in Dubai, I'm not sure who it was, has set up a GoFundMe site. Is that right for for Jerry uh, help? Yeah. Jerry CV Heal, I think it's called that GoFundMe. Help Jerry Heal. Help Jerry Heal. Help Jerry Heal. So if you, if made we, a huge difference. A huge difference. So if people go to GoFundMe and look for Help Jerry mm -hmm. Heal, they'll find that, um, mm -hmm. that GoFundMe site. I, I'll, I'll certainly put the link to it in the, in the thing below. But that's um, that's really important because you said like you, most of this is out of pocket for you now. With all this care that you're doing, you could have bought several Mercedes. Um, it's a lot of money. Yep, it is. And you're not being able to go to Dubai to, to, to do the work. No, I pushed it oh, off till January. He was also one of the trainers. He was one of the big trainers for you. It was you and him mostly, right? Yeah. 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 So we'll move. We'll, I moved it to January and I, he. I bought a ticket to bring him with me. We've got plenty of friends over there who will be thrilled to spend time with him. And if he continues the way he's going now, he probably, knowing Jerry, he'll want to teach. He won't have to sustain an entire day, but he'll get up there because that's because the brain is amazing. And consciousness, that part of self that informs the brain who we are, that's still there. Amazing, isn't it? It really is amazing really is amazing. The brain is an amazing thing. And of course, that's my brain saying that, but still. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, thank you so much for being here today. And uh, you're welcome. Thank you for having me. Yeah, good luck. <laughs> well, I'm, I, I, I have more than luck. I'm <laughs> yeah, well, All right. thanks. Thanks to This has been the Essential Coaching Skills Podcast. Thank you for being here. It's a pleasure seeing you again. Hope to see you again real soon. Come back next week when we have another gripping and exciting episode of the Essential Coaching Skills Podcast. And if you want to, you can find out more about us, each and every one of us, at EssentialCoachingSkills.com. Thanks. Thanks.